This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I'm in love with that song. I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. I love that song. I'm in love with that song. Greetings to all here on the Third Stone from the Sun and Beyond. This is the I'm in love with that song podcast beaming across the cosmos on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad Page, and each episode of the show, I pick a song and we explore it together, listening to all the nuances that make it one of my favorite songs. You don't need any musical skill, knowledge, or experience here. Just a love for music and a little curiosity. Well, here we are at the start of a brand new year, and I was trying to think of an appropriate subject for a 1st of January episode. I thought, we've talked about a lot of guitar players on this show. I love guitar players. But I realized that after over 140 shows, we've still never talked about one of the most important guitarists of all time. So let's rectify that. It's about time we talked about Jimi Hendrix. Of course, Jimi Hendrix is a legend with a legacy of some really important and influential records. It'd be tempting to pick a song like Purple Haze or Voodoo Child, All Along the Watchtower, or his version of The Star-Spangled Banner. Those are all historically important tracks. But I wanted to do something different, so I chose a song from very late in his career, when Jimmy was at a turning point in his career, at a crossroads, to use a cliché, so we're going back to a New Year's Eve over 50 years ago, when 1969 gave way to 1970. With Jimi Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies ringing in the new year at the Fillmore East playing Message of Love. We'll be right back after this message. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store 
or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Everybody knows that Jimi Hendrix is a legend, an icon. There are literally dozens of books written about him. There are documentaries. So I'm not going to go over a detailed history of Hendrix. But to understand how Jimi Hendrix ended up playing at the Fillmore East on a New Year's Eve, first, we have to go back to his early years in New York City. Jimi Hendrix was a working musician, paying his dues and playing as a sideman to people like the Isley Brothers, and Little Richard. In 1965, he ended up as a guitarist in Curtis Knight's band, playing cover songs on the New York and New Jersey circuit. Jimmy eventually grew tired of that and formed his own band, Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. It was during a stint playing in Greenwich Village, New York, when he was quote-unquote discovered by Chaz Chandler, former bassist for The Animals, who was transitioning into being a manager. Chandler brought Jimmy over to England, and they put together the Jimi Hendrix Experience with bassist Noel Redding and drummer Mitch Mitchell, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, here's where things get messy. Back in 65, when he was playing with Curtis Knight, Jimmy had signed an exclusive recording contract with a guy named Ed Chaplin. 
Jimmy had also signed a contract with producer Juggy Murray, but hey, look, Jimmy was a struggling musician just trying to find some success, any success. He was a guitar player, not a lawyer, and he was naive. He'd sign anything if he thought it could help him at the time. But now, with the Jimi Hendrix experience having hit records on the Warner Brothers label, Ed Chaplin came a-calling in 1967 with his contract from two years earlier, and he sued. Hendrix had made some recordings with Curtis Knight back in 65. Those records are not very good, but Chaplin licensed them to Capitol Records, who then released two albums worth of that stuff. In fact, at one point, you had the legit Warner Brothers records competing against the Capitol stuff at the same time. Here's a song from the Curtis Knight Sessions. It's an instrumental called Knock Yourself Out, which Jimmy got a co-writing credit on. Eventually, a settlement was arranged with an agreement that Ed Chaplin and Capitol Records would get the rights to one Jimi Hendrix album. Hendrix had just finished recording Electric Ladyland, which was a double album, so it was agreed that the next album would be given to Capitol. But things in the Hendrix camp were tough. First, Chaz Chandler had left the fold, and not long after, Noel Redding quit. Jimmy brought in his old army buddy, Billy Cox, to play bass. Then Jimmy rounded up a bunch more musicians, adding additional percussionists and a second guitar player. He called the band Gypsy Sun and Rainbows, and this was the band that played at Woodstock. But a month later, Jimmy broke up that band. It just wasn't working for him. Meanwhile, the pressure is on. He still owes one album to Capitol. And Jimmy didn't even have a band. So Jimmy, Billy Cox, and drummer-vocalist Buddy Miles put together a band. They made a deal with promoter Bill Graham to play four shows at the Fillmore East in New York. Two shows on New Year's Eve and two shows on New Year's Day, 1970. All four shows would be recorded and they would release the best tracks as a single live album to fulfill the Capitol Records contract. Before the show, Jimmy, Buddy, and Billy, calling themselves Band of Gypsies, worked up a set consisting mostly of new material, including Machine Gun, one of Jimmy's most incredible guitar performances. Both Buddy and Billy 
were veterans of R&B bands, and they brought a funkier, soulful groove to the songs that the Jimi Hendrix experience just never had. Buddy was also a great singer, too. His lead vocals are featured on two songs on the Band of Gypsies album. Buddy introduces this track on the record. Jimmy's going to do a thing that he, he wrote called Message of Love. The song starts off with a chromatically ascending riff. before kicking off into the main riff of the song. Let's just hear Jimmy's guitar on that riff. Behind that, Billy Cox is playing a pretty busy bass part over a pretty simple drum beat laid down by Buddy Miles. Let's hear their parts. They only play through that riff twice before starting the first verse, which is a variation on the main riff, simplified a bit to leave room for the vocals. I really like the backing vocals there. One of the things about Jimmy's previous band, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, was that they didn't have a strong vocalist in the band to back up Jimmy. Buddy Miles was a powerhouse singer, and he adds a lot. And with Billy Cox chipping in, these backing vocals were kind of a whole new sound for Jimmy. After a few lines of the verse, we get a new short riff with Jimmy and Billy playing the same part together, mostly. And that brings us back to the verse riff. And that brings us to another new riff. This one's a little more rapid fire with Jimmy and Billy doubling the part and Buddy scat singing the riff with them. Now here we have a somewhat quieter or gentler part. Jimmy is playing some of those chords he was famous for. As much as he's thought of as an incredible lead guitarist, and he was, he was also a killer rhythm player. Well, 
Jimmy's rhythm guitar playing is as identifiable as his lead playing. Let's hear this part again without the vocals so that we can hear a little more of his guitar work. We're back at the verse riff. The backing vocals come back in, but this time Jimmy's just going to vamp a bit around the riff. At this point, Jimmy is going to crank up the volume and play a solo. And I think now is as good a time as any to talk about Jimmy's guitar sound. Though he played other guitars, Jimmy was primarily associated with the Fender Stratocaster. As a left-handed player, he would take a right-handed Strat, flip it upside down and restring it, and that's what he was playing this night with the Band of Gypsies. Now, playing the guitar upside down like that meant that things like the volume and tone controls and the vibrato arm were in a different position than they would be if you were playing it normally. And Jimmy was able to take advantage of that, particularly with the vibrato or whammy bar. Jimmy also pretty consistently used Marshall amplifiers. I think typically Super 100s, but don't quote me on that. But that was the standard beginning and end of his signal chain a Fender Strat into a Marshall amp. But what went between his amp and guitar, that's another story. That changed frequently. Jimmy was always looking for new sounds, and he would explore any new effects gadget that came his way. Guitar effects pedals were still a relatively new thing in the late 60s. Jimmy was friends with a guy named Roger Mayer, an electrical engineer who would work for the British Navy. He started building effects devices for guitars, like fuzz pedals, and one of the earliest units he built was the Octavia, which takes the input signal from the guitar and generates that sound one octave higher, then mixes it back in with the original guitar sound and adds distortion or fuzz. Like most guitar pedals, it would sit on the floor between your guitar and amp with a button you'd press with your foot to turn it on and off. Jimmy first used the Octavia on the solo for Purple Haze in 1967. Roger Mayer would continue to tweak and modify the Octavia for Hendrix, and Jimmy was using one of those later versions for this Band of Gypsies show. You can hear the Octavia most notably on the song Who Knows from this show.
Jimmy was also using a fuzz pedal built by Roger Mayer. It was either a fuzz face or an axis fuzz, depending on what you read. He had two other effects pedals on stage this night, a Vox wah-wah pedal, which you can hear on the song Changes, And he was using a Univibe, a new and pretty innovative pedal for its time. A little tough to explain what a Univibe actually sounds like. It's a cross between phasing, a chorus sound, and vibrato. But you can hear it in action on the song Machine Gun. Now, there is one other thing to take into account regarding Jimmy's guitar sound, and that's the order in which the effects are plugged into each other. Believe it or not, it makes a big difference in the sound. For example, a wah-wah pedal plugged into a fuzz pedal sounds significantly different than the other way around, a fuzz pedal plugged into a wah. This can lead to endless rounds of debate and conjecture, but luckily, we have some photographs from this show that pretty clearly show the sequence of his pedals that night. His guitar is plugged into a Vox wah-wah pedal, which is plugged into the Octavia, which is plugged into the Fuzz Face, that's plugged into the Univibe, and then that is finally plugged into his Marshall amplifier. Wah pedal, Octavia, Fuzz pedal, Univibe. Okay, so back to Message of Love. At this point, the fuzz is really going to kick in and Jimmy's going to go for his first solo. Now, Jimmy's going to step on that wah-wah pedal. Now, Jimmy's going to hit a harmonic and quickly bend it down with the whammy bar then turn off the wah pedal for the rest of the solo. You can hear them slow the tempo down there. Here comes the woman, wrapped up in chains. 
The band is going to break, and then Jimmy is going to do a little scat singing this time, singing along to his guitar part. They're going to build it back up here. Jimmy and Buddy are going to add some vocals. It sounds a little rough coming back into the riff there. I can't imagine they had more than a handful of rehearsals before these shows, so there's bound to be some rough spots, but that's what makes this a truly great live album. There's a real edge-of-your-seat energy to this record. They didn't go back and fix up every mistake. This is how it really went down that night, New Year's 1970. Jimmy's going to cut loose with a second solo. Let's focus in on Jimmy's guitar. that chromatic climb from the beginning of the song to wrap it all up. And Jimmy's just messing around with the whammy bar and some feedback. The Band of Gypsies, Message of Love. The song has also been credited as Message to Love, but on all the versions of Band of Gypsies that I have, it's referred to as Message of Love, so that's what I'm sticking with. The Band of Gypsies album was commercially very successful. Critics didn't necessarily love it, and Hendrix himself was never satisfied with it. He felt it was rushed, and it didn't sound great, and if it wasn't for the contractual obligations, he wouldn't have released it. Not that it mattered. By the time the album was released, the band had already broken up. But the album has gone on to be very influential, paving the way for future funk rock acts, and it was an important touchstone, particularly for black artists making their mark in the rock world, like Living Color and Lenny Kravitz. And it remains one of my favorite Jimi Hendrix records and just favorite guitar records in general. 
Thanks for joining me for this musical journey on the I'm in Love With That Song podcast. As always, I'll be back in about two weeks with another new episode. Until then, get your fix of the I'm in Love With That Song podcast by listening to any of our previous shows on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com, or find us on your favorite podcast app. You can keep in touch with us on Facebook. Just look for the I'm in Love With That Song podcast to find our page. And please support the show by sharing it with your friends and just telling somebody about it. On behalf of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts, I gently remind you to support the artists that you love by buying their music. And I'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to this episode on Jimi Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies. Happy New Year, everyone. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.